Welcome to MMO, the Mike Mike and Oscar show. They cover films then, win the gold, but now we're talking Pixar films for all of these shows. From Toy Story 1 up through Toy Story 4, this is the MMO, the Pixar Rewatch Show. We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Another Pixar series rewatch to enter into our what is this? Our eighth episode? Seventh. Seventh episode? All right, that's fine. We're covering Wally today. Oh, Wally is the one we're getting at today for a Pixar rewatch episode entry into the series. I never know how to like phrase these. It could be nine if you consider the best original song half a so that That's we true. did for That's Toy true. Stories. You've got a friend in me. Yeah. It could be nine if you consider The Incredibles 2 that we just put in the playlist and we're cheating with that one because yeah. we did an OSB and a lot of coverage on it last year. But you're right. This is episode whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're happy about this one. Yeah. We, we love this movie. Uh Binged it. I've yeah. been, I like binge double watched it. It's just a fun movie. It's it's good rebound too because we were kind of down on the last one, even though it had ridiculously. You're high an egomaniac because you were down on it. Yeah, I was up on it, but you only remember your opinion. I dragged you down. I felt like you, you kind a of bit. relented at the end. A little there. bit, but yeah. I, I kind of went with the flow a little bit, like yeah. the jet screen stream of uh, Finding Nemo there for a minute. That's how I've always described you. But I still came down high on Ratatouille. I don't want that to get out there that mm. I didn't like Ratatouille. Okay. I thought it's like one of the best moments of the whole series. All right, so both Mikes hated Ratatouille, so now we're here <laughs> to uh, uh, repent for our sins now. We got a, a fun Wally movie that I think we're both going to be high on, regardless of how you personally feel about it. And I hate it now. <laughs> no, and that's it. what we're going to get into today. I'm your co-host. I'm not also Mike. You're also Mike. I'm you Mike one. You don't even know who you are. I'm in a fog, man. I'm just in a fog, is what I'll say. <laughs> I'm also Mike. I'm that one. I'm really excited <laughs> about this, or at least I was before I stared across the table here. But no, we're we're embarking on this joyous rewatch, and yeah. we somehow managed to be what cantankerous is the word I'm looking for. Is that a word? I, I think that's a word. All right. we're, we're just you know we're we're critics. Yeah, I was down. I, I did not like Rat- Ratatouille. I, I thought that was inexcusable, which makes me very fearful for how I'm going to approach Cars when we get to Cars, it. Cars, yeah. A lot of critics dislike yeah. Cars, but I don't remember hating the Cars movie. Here's the thing about Cars. Like, I didn't have any need to see right. 2 and 3. Right. I think I saw 1 and 2. I didn't have any need to see 3. I've never seen any of them, but we'll we'll not talk about Cars yet. We will be talking about Wally today. If you've not joined us previously for a Pixar series rewatch episode, what that is is it's very much in the similar vein of our Oscar Sprint profile episodes. We have two halves of every episode, a non-spoiler half and a spoiler half. Don't worry, you won't get any spoilers in the first half of all these episodes you'll have a spoiler warning that will tip you off as to when these spoilers are coming that won't be now the first half of every pixar series rewatch episode is spoiler free we go into the specs the performances all that fun stuff and what we concentrate on in the non-spoiler half is the history of pixar we kind of take a snapshot of where the movie we're talking about uh, had brought the company of pixar up to at that point we talk about the ins and outs of what got this movie made then of course in the spoiler section after the spoiler warning what we're concentrating on is the 22 rules of screenwriting success that are 
our infamous in screenwriting classes that Pixar had released some years ago, and we're trying to relate one rule to every movie that we cover, so we're going to be doing yeah. rule number nine today. I think it's nine or ten. Nine or ten. Okay. Again, numbers. I'll scroll down later. Not our thing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's what we're going Whatever. to do today for Wally. get the non-spoiler section started, and the way we start all these non-spoiler sections is Mike is going to run down the cast and crew. Yes. Co-written and directed by Andrew Stanton, one of the founding fathers, who also directed Finding Nemo and Dory. Mm-hmm. Wreck-It Ralph and Zootopia writer Jim Reardon also gets a screenplay by credit. And Monsters, Inc. slash Inside Out writer-director Pete Docter, again, one of those founding fathers right there. One of the first few animators to be hired by Pixar, which was primarily a software graphics company yes. so these animators who start with them at the from the ground up they get a lot of play early on in this filmography but pete doctor also got a story by credit uh the voice acting features very few big actors uh, jeff garland was one from curb your enthusiasm you have kathy najimi from sisters act and hocus pocus i grew up loving mrs najimi there she's phenomenal i was a big sister act fan i never got swept up in the hocus pocus i'm not yeah, i would agree too yeah. I, the sister act one and two i watched a million times hocus pocus maybe just once yeah. or twice solid uh sigourney weaver is the voice of the ship's computer i thought that was her again <laughs> i like that that becomes a thing later on in mm-hmm. finding dory when she voices the aquarium so that works of course you have john ratzenberger the mustache from cheers he is just like a random guy that gets bumped gotta into. gotta get him in gotta fit him in somehow <laughs> we strangely get a live action performance mike from christopher guest troop regular and broadcaster from pitch perfect fred willard yeah the great fred willard yeah he's phenomenal in this too <laughs> He's, he's one of those old standby comedic uh, actors that just, like, anytime you see him on screen, you know you're going to get some kind of gem from him. And I always feel like he was a little out of place because, like you said, he is of that Christopher Guest ilk. He's sure. like, he ran with those guys, and so now he's still doing comedy, and we don't really see any of his running buddies around anymore. Yeah, he's act- just kind of like an odd man out in all these comedy Acting uh, out of place is kind of his thing. Yeah. But it's also pretty funny like if he's in charge of the corporations that is in charge of not only a country but the planet earth yes he's like the president of earth and basically walmart we have <laughs> an issue otherwise mike we we have relative unknowns in the cast and only get a speaking line or two and crew members voicing the other characters for instance two-time oscar-winning sound designer ben burt who I'm going to have a lot more on later, does the voice of Wally, yeah. Mo, a bunch of the robots. How about, too, that we're only eight years away from Finding Dory when we had, like, Kate McKinnon and Bill Hader in one-off characters, mm-hmm. but just to get them in because they're A-listers yeah. and why not, and now we're still eight years, only eight years away from that, but we're still not using all any huge, huge names. I mean, Jeff Garland, he's a well-known commodity, but he's not probably a huge A-lister, people would consider sure. him. I-, I thought they would have gone like the last movie. You still had Will Arnett. Right doing a minor voice mm-hmm. even in the last movie you had peter, peter o'toole who was not in it the, all that no. often so you're you're right we look at just look at guardians of the galaxy you got ben diesel just saying i am group <laughs> <laughs> just why not so uh, no did none of that mike 
you have the history of the Pixar company. Yeah, we'll talk about Pixar and how this movie got made as well. In our last Pixar episode covering Ratatouille, we talked about how Brad Bird kind of swooped in at the last second to basically save that picture and build the story from bottom up in 18 months or about half the time it usually takes to create an animated film using computer graphics. We talked about how Bird felt it crucial to take his team to Paris to get the backdrop of the movie right and mm-hmm. feel true to life. How Bird convinced Pixar to send he and five others on a work trip that basically consisted of them eating at fine restaurants in order <laughs> to get the look of food as true to life as possible since food in Paris is what played such a huge and intricate role in Ratatouille. So I'm going to start this section for this movie of Wally by saying Andrew Stanton probably should have come up with a more appealing backdrop than a world full of garbage and a protagonist that is a trash compactor. Yeah, the field trips weren't <laughs> as good with this one. Because yes, Wally reportedly was also conceived of by Stanton during that fateful lunch in 1994 when pretty much every Pixar property was a bit apparently conceived of. Yeah, it was a fateful lunch hour. It's just like whenever they took a lunch, that's when they worked on story mm-hmm. it was probably because it was so dry where they're working on the graphics all day all day every day john lasseter's literally their point to hiding work. a bunk under his desk yeah he's or a bunk a mattress under his desk like a fold fold away mattress like george Costanza in that episode of seinfeld when he wants to nap on the yankees dime <laughs> i get that that's their that was their lives <laughs> living at work essentially and yeah, lunch was like more than a siesta. Yeah, so it, it, it basically, this movie was conceived of in 94. It would eventually be created as the ninth film released by Pixar and the third released after Disney's purchase of Pixar outright. And yes, Stanton and company actually did take trips to disposal sites and garbage dumps in order to understand how trash was dealt with, sorted, separated, and compacted as they wanted all the process to translate to their garbage world and Wally's duties as they were shown to us on screen. So do you think they were texting one another? Like Brad Bird's texting from a restaurant in Paris. A French Riviera, yeah. <laughs> and Andrew Stanton is like just staring at just nothing but garbage. Just He's like trash as far you, as dude. The line. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I can see. What are you eating? <laughs> I'm in a bologna sandwich. That I found. <laughs> uh, the original concept of the story, as Stanton tells it, has become its own form of fable and folklore in the background of how this film came to be. Quote What if the human race had to abandon Earth and somebody forgot to turn off the last robot? Uh, you'll notice, though, that that fan thesis question really would end up covering only half of Wally movie as just it came to be. The thesis question gets me emotional. <laughs> <gasps> the other half, the part about environmental conservatism, human addiction to technology, and processed food from corporately owned overlords, huh? and the need for a green <laughs> initiative to save planet Earth, that all came throughout the five-year period Stanton was developing the story for the film in earnest, beginning in around 2002 or 2003 after he was done with his work on Finding Nemo. Eventually, what we saw as the final product would only come to be as a result of what would be described as the most complex Pixar production yet, yes, as the studio would use more than 100 125,000 storyboards in order to get the story right, which was no easy task. Considering all the themes Stanton found himself covering in order to explain the backstory of Earth and justify humans having abandoned it without trying to return. So, you think, without a lot of dialogue, you're going to get a simpler story, right? And therefore, less storyboards. They average 75,000 storyboards yeah. a movie. That is 50,000 more storyboards in this film, the silent movie, essentially. One of the things we've learned about Pixar, they love themselves a storyboarding process. 
They do. They, they, <laughs> the, the, I just watched the uh, the Pixar story on Netflix, mm-hmm. the documentary last night, and like most of it is just them in a room, like filled with pictures on the wall. <laughs> just love drawing. <laughs> That's what they do. They love they just that. love drawing. It was also important to stand that the technology of the day, in order of in, in terms of these graphics that they would show on screen, would be able to catch up to the point where he felt they could portray these machines on screen to properly display emotion and become relatable, as he was focused more on robots akin to R2D2 rather than, quote, humans with metal skin, as he described in a 2008 interview with the website AV Club. He preferred his robots to be more like Pixar's Luxo, that bouncing lamp that we all see at the right. uh, title card, than more like the Wizard of Oz's Tin Man. So suffice to say, one man's trash is another man's half a billion dollar grossing Oscar winning film. Yeah. I don't know if I would doubt that they could make the Tin Man work. Right, yeah. Well, at like this that. point, certainly, yeah. But... This means more when they take a, a character that's just a hunk of junk and they, they give it human personality. It means no more words, then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what they did in this movie is just outstanding. It really is. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much not a lot of drama attached to this one because, like I said, the Disney-Pixar falling out had made amends. Disney now owned Pixar, so there wasn't really a whole lot of uh, intricate backstory that went into this outside of what they did in the writing room and the storyboard room because it seems like it was a really technical marvel to get this off the ground. Yes. A uh, couple of production nuggets real quick. Uh, PixarTalk.com courtesy of Walt Disney and Pixar. They have a great website, and they have Wally production notes there. It's a fascinating read. It's a humongous read that I just love. Andrew Stanton originally wrote the script, Mike, with tons of dialogue, but he said he put it all in brackets because he knew that once he hired a great sound designer, which was like job number one, and he had one, he had a a guy in mind right off the bat, Ben Burt. Once he hired Ben Burt, the creator, literally, of R2-D2 for all those Star Wars movies. He was with Spielberg from Indiana Jones and E.T. He won Oscars for Indiana Jones and E.T. Who do you think is, like, the second go-to guy for robots in Hollywood? Like, if if you're on a big budget movie and you you want to create a robot and you call Ben Burt and he's busy, (laughs) like, do you think the second guy is, like, still doing this? Or is that only room for one person in Hollywood? So we paused it and looked it up, but the cor- the incorrect answer, the correct answer for this <laughs> line of conversation is Frank Seraphine, who did sound for Virtuosity, Hunt for Red October, Tron, is he still working? Star Trek, The Search for Spock, but most importantly, Michael, for, no, he's dead, but <laughs> most importantly, Michael, he did sound for Short Circuit, <laughs> which was a childhood favorite of mine. From Uncle Al's uh, VHS cabinets, I think I watched because <laughs> you wanted five a best friend robot. I wanted a yeah. best friend robot. Understandable. But it, yeah, I mean the sound effects were pretty good in those actually. But second best, you want an answer? You got one. But he's dead. You said he's very dead. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> All right. So a couple major influences on the film. Uh, according to Stanson, Stanson or mm-hmm. Stanton, Robinson Crusoe, of course, stranded on an island, Makes sense. You know, basically lost but with one forty-year-old white guy mm-hmm. because it's the nineteen eighties. And go figure, Alien. O'Bannon, I read that. O'Bannon's Alien, and that, and that makes a ton of sense. There's obviously a lot of homages throughout the film, and we're going to get into all of those. But I think I didn't finish my point because we got sidetracked by Short Circuit, which is a great movie franchise, <laughs> and I won't be told differently. Mike Ben Burt. Once he hired Ben Burt, Mr. Stanton, he knew that he was going to change all the dialogue of the film to beeps and boops and whatever. Yeah. 
And he knew that going in. It's like, I'm going to write the dialogue, and I'm going to put it all in the subtext with a great sound designer, and it's going to be R2-D2 the whole movie. That's genius. I don't even know how you have that kind of forethought. Like, the confidence you need to pull that off, and for Pixar to have his back the entire time and be like, yeah, we trust you, man, because obviously this guy just helmed the highest-grossing animated picture ever in Mm. Finding Nemo, so why would you doubt him at this point? I hope you're a good editor, because that's going to come off as sprawling nonsense. I'm not touching it. So, last production nugget here. Speaking of script, Mike, on one of the first drafts, they had the humans basically turned into green blob-like creatures. Yes. Because they talked to a physiologist, a renowned physiologist, this guy named Hicks. All the science people are very angry with me right now because they didn't get his full name. I forgot to write it down. In this script, the robots have a Spartacus-style rebellion at the end of it. I am Spartacus. Against these creatures, and eventually there is a Planet of the Apes-style revelation that the alien blobs are, in fact, human beings turned that way over millennia or whatever, hundreds of years. I wonder how true or how serious that approach was, or if Stanton did the old thing where he wanted to over overpromise something so he knew if he would walk it back it would seem like not <laughs> so you as think ridiculous it's a posturing negotiation right. I, well, style? how absurd is that premise for a Pixar movie I wonder if he was we're going to turn all the humans yeah. into bad aliens <laughs> I, he might be reading up on John Carter because they you know they really gestate for a long time with these properties maybe yeah he knew he wanted to make a John Carter as half live action half computer animation which is a movie we're not going to review for this Pixar rewatch because it sucks because we're not masochists right and uh, no it's a bad movie but Bottom line is Stanton. I mean, that was the one Pixar flop, really, or maybe one and a half. Yeah. Uh, the Good Dinosaur. Eh, two flops. Yeah, but Pixar was scott free on John Carter. We just looked that up. It yeah. turns out that was a Disney picture. It's all the Pixar people. Yeah. It's Andrew Stanton. Pixar's uh, record remains unsullied. <laughs> Except for The Good Dinosaur. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I hope uh, <laughs> I hope that's just an oversight. I don't know if I've seen it either. No, I did see it. All right. Wow. That's yeah. how quick my brain remembers, <laughs> doesn't remember, and then remembers I've seen a movie. But that's weird because, like... Instant Recall, as opposed to Total Recall. It's not Total Recall, no. that's for sure. No third nipple here. Uh, Wally, some specs for Wally. Yeah. Directed by Andrew Stanton. Give written, the people air. <laughs> written by Stanton and Pete Docter. Each have, each have original story by credits. And Stanton and Jim Reardon share screenplay by credits. <laughs> it would be Stanton's first credited directorial job since Finding Nemo and Doctor's first screenwriting credit since 2001's Monster Inc. This movie debuted June 23rd, 2008 in LA. Went wide a couple days later, June 27th. 97 minute runtime on a G rating, a $180 million budget, which was both the highest budget for a Pixar movie at that point and $30 million more than the previous high-budget record holder, Ratatouille. So just one picture ago for Pixar. The cojones on these folks. All right, we're going to have a silent Silent film that costs $200 million. million. (laughs) (laughs) Disney and Pixar are still listed as the production companies. Buena Vista, which had been the brand Disney distributed their pictures under since 1953, was discontinued by Disney in 2007. Thus, WALL-E would be the first Pixar film distributed by Disney under the new Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures brand. Mm. Stephen Schaefer did the editing, Danielle Feinberg and Jeremy Lasky the cinematography, but I wanted to highlight the music for this movie, which is credited to Thomas Newman, who has been scoring films since 1984 and has done the music for a veritable who's who of all-timer pictures, including Scent of a Woman, The Shawshank Redemption, American Beauty, Skyfall, and The Iron Lady. He also did the music for Finding Nemo, but there's this 
little stat that I'm going to say, which kind of blew me away once I realized it, and longtime Oscar pundits know this already, I'm sure. Newman would be nominated for best score for his work here on Wally. He's been nominated in total 13 times for a best score Oscar, and once more for best original song for his work in this movie as well, alongside Peter Gabriel for the song Down to Earth for best original song, and he's been shut out of the Oscars each time. 0 for 14, which makes him the fourth highest on the list for anyone with the most Oscar nominees without a win all time. And worse yet, he's the cousin of Randy Newman who can't stop winning Oscars. So hmm. it's time for, for for Thomas Newman to get recognized here, I think. It'd be really funny if Thomas Newman talks <laughs> like Randy Newman sings and they are like opposite. Like Randy Newman's just in conversation, just like talking like me now, normal. And then Thomas Newman is like, yeah, the doobie. I have to get out I of I can't the- win any Oscars. <laughs> I can't go home for Thanksgiving this year. I can't listen to those two. He's going to breathe on it first. <laughs> Very high marks across the board for Wally. 8.4 IMDb rating on 900,000 reviews. Good for 64th place in the IMDb Top 250 Movies ranking. And its 8.4 rating is actually tied for 50th on that list, alongside such titles as Apocalypse Now and Alien. Wow. 95% certified That's fresh crazy. tomato score. Sure is. On 254 critical reviews, 12 critics gave this a rotten rating. Who are they? I don't understand Find their names and put them on a list. They should be ashamed of themselves. And we will hunt them down in (laughs) subsequent episodes of MMO. Point at them and yell at them (laughs) and leave. Uh, 89% audience score, nearly 600,000 ratings on Rotten Tomato as well. A 95 Metascore, good for the second highest Metascore Pixar film ever. All of this is needless to say that it did well at the box office too. $533.2 million worldwide box office, including 223.8 of that domestically. Good for the fifth highest grossing film domestically of 2008 and the highest grossing G-rated film of that year as well. And while it debuted a week before July 4th, the $32.5 million it did domestically on July 4th weekend, its second weekend out, is still the 23rd best Independence Day weekend gross of all time, yeah. which I thought was kind of uh, startling there. So those are some of the numbers for Wally and what it did. We'll talk about the, like I said, this had a couple Academy Awards nominated to it. It only ended up taking home one, and the one it did take home, of course, was Best Animated Feature. The thing about this movie is I think it gave such levels of credibility to a franchise that was starting to move more towards kids movies i would say you know with the cars with finding nemo with ratatouille uh incredibles and this movie now you have the adult hook right you have sure the hello dolly you have all the references the homages you're gonna make you have the balls to make a silent film a 200 million dollar silent movie Absolutely for crazy. kids it got nominated on the night as well in 2008 for Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Score, Thomas Newman, like I said, Best Original Song for Thomas Newman, Peter Gabriel, like I said, Sound Mixing and Sound Editing as well. It only did win Best Animated Feature, though. Original Screenplay would have been interesting. I was rooting for it, I remember that year. But uh, bottom line is, you know, it's starting to break through. I mean, you know, a couple of these Pixar films now have started to break through in multiple categories. They've had the five or six nomination year. They so could have won totally original happen. screenplay that year, too. Milk won. Uh, Frozen River, In Bruges, and Happy Go Lucky were the other nominees alongside Wally. I don't remember Milk having the greatest yeah, script. No. 
Milk yeah. was an upset that year too. That's a that was the year Sean Penn won Best Actor over Mickey yeah. Rourke for the wrestler. I, I liked Milk. I just didn't like. It's a fine movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's a decent beverage. <laughs> Bad choice in heat. No, I mean, but I'd make. I, I hung out with my father today. The dad jokes are just flowing because right. me and my dad were I, just making jokes. I'm not here to judge, man. <laughs> I'm just along for the ride. What do we got? Let's talk about it. Plot, premise, and expectation. In the distant future, a small waste-collecting robot inadvertently embarks on a space journey that will ultimately decide the fate of mankind, Mike. No Are you kidding there. me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> In a silent movie, no less. I just, like, I want applause after I say that. So, this doesn't do any good for me in... Uh, what I talked about last movie, how I have these nostalgic connections for movies I saw when they right. came out. And this one I did see when it came out, and I remember loving it then, so I was excited to see it again, and I loved it again. So, I don't know. I, ho I hope I'm going to get to a Pixar movie soon that I haven't seen, that I see for the first time now and do love still. I, I have some Pixar movies still to come that I did not love that I wonder if I'll love now. Change your stance. Right? I kind of liked, I strong like, you know, like the Finding Nemo, like it was a strong like, mm -hmm. or whatever. It wasn't even a strong like. I'm, I'm overblowing it. This was like, I'm not a huge fan of Finding Nemo or Finding Dory, and I liked them a lot more upon rewatch. Uh, this movie, yeah, I'm the same way. I loved it back then. I love it now. It's so good. It's really so good. good. So, I mean, that, that's expectations mm -hmm. that are high going in. And for a movie to hit your expectations, that's, that's just a mark of yep. supreme quality on a movie. That's I, why I, I put down a grade for this one. Not that we do grades, but this one's bordering on an A for me. I mean, this is A-minus territory, but right. this is a great movie. So, production values, Mike. Cinematography. Look, a name stood out on the uh, production notes for this one. And that name was Roger Deakins, who was brought in as a consultant for basically teaching the Pixar group how to deal with the lighting and the atmosphere for a science fiction film. Him and Thomas Newman. Deakins used to be on the list of most uh, Oscar nominees without a win. So sure. him and Thomas Newman probably spent the lunch hour just crying across the <laughs> Before, Blade, before Runner, Blade Runner 2049. 2049. Got him off that list. And uh, now he just mocks Thomas Newman, I'm sure. And the crazy thing was like, they brought Deakins in, they figured they were going to get like all the nuances of cinematography and the lighting and how, mm -hmm. how things need to be done. But what they said at the end of the day was, this guy just simplified everything. Simplified everything for us. And made it so much easier, and that, that's just fascinating. That's the infuriating part about any master of their craft, right? Is how easy they make it look, right? I, of course, when it looks simple. When the bad guy comes, dark light <laughs> towards the bottom. Well, this is I, well, seriously. You watch Gordon Ramsay in any of his right. thousand shows, and when he has to like fillet a fish in front of a master chef class or something, he make it's done in thirty seconds, and it's perfect portion. It's it, that's infuriating. Like they, all these people are so good at their jobs, they make everything look so simple. It's like fundamentals, and yeah. they're so good at the fundamentals. So that, that's that is fascinating. Uh, a huge change in this film was the simulated use of a certain kind of camera. Like I said, this movie is based on and it pays homage to science fiction films of the 1960s and 1970s. Most of those films were were filmed on a 70 millimeter Panavision camera, and they basically programmed a 70 millimeter Panavision camera into the computer software. That, that that's insane. Yeah, that, that captured this movie. So they and, just simulated the look of a camera that was around in the 60s. And a lot of the pre-production process was Andrew Stanton just going around the Pixar lot and the trash compactor recycling plants with a 70 millimeter Panavision camera. That's amazing. And these, we talk all the time how obsessive Pixar is about the little things and... and 
it certainly pays off for them because you don't even realize you're looking at something like that and you just know that this looks unique and looks different and apparently there's why so here's the thing like thomas newman's score mike it's got to be helped by the robe the adorable robot of course it is with binocular of, course it is. Eyes. of course it is right i mean yeah. it's a good score it is it is. And he does do a good job of, like, emotionally enhancing. There's a, there's a point in this movie where one of the main characters, we don't know if they're going to come back and they might be meeting their end and their demise, and he mm-hmm. plays that very soft-spoken, emotional, tugs sure. at your heartstrings. Yes, your emotional attachment to these characters does aid, and I think it does. We might be answering one of our long-standing questions is that it makes us more noticeable of the score as well when we give a shit about these characters. Yes. You know what I mean? So You and I would die for Wally. Uh, we would no die question. for Eva. Yes. I would die for Baby. Nemo or Baby Dory, <laughs> Dory like you said. Without question. The most yeah. adorable characters in the history of cinema. Yeah. Never mind Pixar and Thomas Newman. Yeah, he's got an easier job to just make a sad song with the, them in the f- foreground, right? I Probably, but that doesn't mean he's slacking at all. No, it's still uh, a great job. The soundtrack is cool, too. You got show tunes from mm-hmm. Hello, Dolly. And the fact that Wally loves show tunes just makes so many people so happy right <laughs> i mean the, the fact that he comes home after a long hard day of work being the only person left on the planet puts on that vhs yeah of hello dolly and that's what he and he just needs something nice and pleasant that's what this benefited from too is that adorable we had no proof that he has a heart really we don't know why he's kind of emotional but he's just doing a lot of things that we agree with <laughs> You know, yeah. Like, yeah, good for you, Wally. Good for you for watching for watching Hello Dolly on your yeah, own. Yeah, Louis Armstrong singing that Lavian Rose. Yeah, song. this is Lavian. <laughs> and yeah. then to that song, they got all the comedy bits playing. Right, like he's just being a buffoon with the the rom- romance. I, it just kills me. Loved it so much. But the star of the show and how this doesn't win all of the sound mixing and sound design yeah. awards, I, I don't get because Ben Burt was probably the key hire here. R2-D2, Indiana Jones, E.T., you know, he, he's the, probably the MVP of the movie to the point where they give him the protagonist's role to voice. Yeah. You know, you have a sound designer, and like, all right, yeah, you're going to voice Wally. <laughs> and you're going to go on down in history because who amongst us didn't see this movie and tried emulating that voice for Eva? Yeah, you know? I mean, they could have had Clive Owen, who was probably <laughs> the biggest deal back in 2008. And Clive Owen was like, I will do Wally. I will not play a British villain. Because I don't believe Brit- all British are villains. He's, 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 I like our fake stands right. that we give to we've, actors. We've implored that on him as if it's one, something that he's willing to die. I know he's willing to die. <sighs> I heard it somewhere. That's the scuttlebutt. <laughs> and everybody's going to, you know, like telephone it on. Good. Yeah, Clive Owen back in the Good. early 2010s, Hey, man. Clive, come on our show and tell us we're wrong. <laughs> he wouldn't play the villain. He wouldn't do it. Uh, sound mixing that year went to Slumdog Millionaire. Sound editing to The Dark Knight. Okay. All right. Yeah, I guess. Makes sense. That's t- that's a tough year. It's a good year. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted, Dark Knight, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Sound Mixing, Iron Man, Wally, Slumdog Millionaire, Wanted for Sound Editing. Slumdog Millionaire is good, some good sound. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't crazy about it, to be honest. I wasn't crazy about the movie, but I, it's, you know it's high production values. It didn't make me want a pet robot. Yeah, but you'll never pronounce millionaire the same way again, though, (laughs) will you? (laughs) Probably a fair counter-argument. All right, so let's review the performances here. And there truly are performances, like we've mentioned before. You know, you watch special features, and there are actors performing the sounds and and the animators performing things in the mirror mic. Wally's eyes were inspired by a pair of binoculars. Perfect. Andrew Stanton was given to watch an Oakland, or an Oakland, whatever the hell I was going to say, an Oakland Athletics game. Perfect. 
They're absolutely perfect. That's where he emotes from. Right. It's all it's all that in the tone of him saying Eva. See, you got like these angular shapes, and then Lassander talked about it. He just based these characters, a lot of the early characters especially, on just simple geometric shapes, manipulating them just a little bit. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a binoculars. Eyebrow goes up, down, up or down, different angle, obvious angle, and then, oh my God, your heart breaks for that character. It's so simple and so effective. And maybe that's, you know, maybe Roger Deacon did have a little bit to say about that because it does, when you examine it, everything is so simplistic. And that doesn't mean it was simple to do, obviously, right. with the technology involved, but everything was so, just a little, you know, tilt or twitch of something and it could convey a whole different emotion. Well, here's the interesting part about Wally character in particular. Uh, to, to animate him, the crew spent months, almost a year, Mike, studying the films of Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton to the point where screenings were held daily at Pixar headquarters of those Jesus silent films. Christ. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Yes, I can, because I know how nuts these people are now after doing eight episodes of this, but that is insane. Yeah. So they went into work and they watched The General, or they right. watched you know, The Gold Rush. <laughs> the Dictator, yeah. That was their morning, and then they would go animate like Charlie Chaplin insane. acted. And, oh my God. Woody Allen was also the basis for the Wally character, kind of all the shtick and you know all of his Woody Allen's characters, you know, just falling over themselves. That's that it's funny, and they, they wanted Wally to be the hopeless romantic, and that was a big change for the character once Lasseter kind of got his hands in the story process because this was a script that, as we saw in the production profile, didn't really work for a while. It took a while they, to get to, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, they made Wally much more likable in a similar way that they made. You know, Woody more likable over the years, so they couldn't have made him more likable at the no, end of the day. Yeah, no, they they aced it with him. Certainly, I would kill. Oh, he's so family members. It's adorable. It's Listening adorable. right now <laughs> for that robot. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Otto, the uh, villain that shows up very late. Uh, what are you doing, Hal? Yeah, basically <laughs> an homage to Hal from or Dave. I'm sorry. What are you doing, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hal is the right. Hal's right? the character's name yeah. from uh, 2001: A Space yep. Odyssey. Uh, and yes, Eve is named for the biblical character. Andrew, yep. Andrew Stanton is a, a, a Christian, and he wanted to pit these robots against a false god that was the, by and large, corporation <laughs> that ran the planet before the quote-unquote exodus. He had other Pixar screenwriter Jim Reardon quoted to saying that Eve's discovery in, in Act 1 was reminiscent of the dove that discovered the whatever plant. I forget what plant the dove discovered in the Bible story of Noah's Ark. So both of those things work. No religious undertones here. <laughs> so why don't more people of religious faith believe in global warming yet? It's inconvenient to their truths. It's 30 degrees and it's end of May. Did you see what I did it's there? The middle of May. A little Al Gore humor. I try not to listen to you every comment you make. <laughs> You're right. That's good. Oh, okay. I remember. I have recall. I have instant recall. Not total recall. All right, Mike, some non-spoiler script thoughts. There's a few here, right? I, I've never seen a movie with more likable characters, and that's all in the script, and it's all in the performances that are happening through the animators, like I said. Can't believe we care about a trash-compacting robot like this. Yeah, whereas in Ratatouille, I had a lot of issues with the script and the story. This one, the story is very high concept, but I'm so involved in the characters, I almost mm -hmm. don't care what the story is. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's, more, it's more that character I love is in danger. I hope that character gets out of danger. And that character is pretty much in danger from the very beginning. It's very much like Nemo. I mean, yeah. Stanton sticks to his guns. I mean, Wally is almost getting smushed 
this entire movie. He's almost getting a spaceship landing on his head. <laughs> right. Or just one thing after another. Like, the dude is in jeopardy. It's a journey for just survival for him, much of the film. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Um, I, I wonder... If we, when we talk about heartbreak moments and, and heartwarming moments and what we do in the spoiler section there, if I think I'm putting together now that it matters more for me about the characters than it does necessarily the story. Because, right. yes, Wally and Eve's relationship to me was it's a love story, obviously. Sure. But at the beginning, it's just he just wants a friend. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't really have an immediate just, emotional attachment just about to a her. Lonely guy. Yeah, it's just, it's just someone who's lonely who's trying to like impress his new friend. He just wants. Like, basic Yo, human I connection. I get that, man. I got you. I feel you, Wally. <laughs> I mean, if they're in Dewey Cox and they're on stage, then some guy's going to yell at him, you know who has hands? The devil. And he uses them for holding. No, but of course, all he wants to do is hold hands. Yeah. So it's just this innocent story, but like you said, it's more about he just wants a friend. Right. And, and that's and all they So the, the characters do way more for me than... The, it's not to say the script isn't good. This wouldn't work right. if the story sucked. The story does not, but... The, the characters for me. No, the robot sex scene at the end of the movie plays well for us because we're perverts, but otherwise, no, I'm kidding. Really taking a hard left at the end <laughs> of this. Uh, but final non-spoiler thought here. Look, this is Pixar zigging when everybody else thought they would zag. I mean, to make a film with no dialogue for $200 million, dark and ominous, dystopian satire, yeah. a look at the future with all these environmentalism, with that message thrown at the heart of this movie about recycling and the need to save the planet this is happening in 2008 this is so sad because if this movie came out like it is right now in 2019 people would yell at pixar for being overly politicized yes it's ridiculous yes they would that's ridiculous right and this is a little you know i don't mean to offend anyone out there but this is loved this is where this this is coming The, the you know the ideas that that global warming and stuff could have happened was universally regarded as a bad thing mm-hmm. <laughs> at one point and now it's become overly politicized and now it's a left versus right thing which is there's proof that it wasn't always like this that everyone actually gave a shit about the world at one point mm-hmm. that's all I'll say just wait for you know finding marlin the third <laughs> movie of uh, the finding nemo franchise when they're you know chasing coral in that one <laughs> Wait. Yeah. Just wait. Yeah. All right, we got to dance. Yeah, spoiler music time. Spoilers ahead! Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to day 255,642 aboard the Axiom. As always, weather's a balmy 72 degrees and sunny, and uh, oh, hey, I see the ship's log is showing that today is our 700th anniversary of our five year cruise. Well, I'm sure our forefathers would be proud to know that 700 years later we'd be doing the exact same thing they were doing. So, be sure next mealtime to ask for your free Septuwa Centennial Cupcake in a cup! Wow, look at that! This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for the Mike, Mike, and Oscar Pixar rewatch series episode entry for the film Wall-E. If you have not seen the movie yet, hit pause. Go watch the movie. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back. If you've seen the movie already, if you're interested to hear our thoughts on the spoilers, or if we've hyped them up so much for you in the non-spoiler section, you cannot possibly go another minute without hearing what happens to that adorable little robot. This is where you want to be. It's all spoilers all the time. Wall-E, the episode for the Pixar rewatch series, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Mike, we start the spoiler sections with the appropriate Pixar Pixar rule to screenwriting success. What do we have today? So this is crazy, Mike, because I could not synchronize a better rule in the 22 rules of storytelling with this particular film. 
We're not doing this on purpose. No. I swear to God. But this one just fits it perfectly. So, number 10, rule number 10, pull apart the stories you like. Pull apart the stories you like. What you like in them is part of you. You've got to recognize it before you can use it. This is so fascinating yeah. because they're literally paying homage to all these films. Yep. Alien, 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, even from the inception point, Planet of the Apes. You know, you got all these stories that they like. Right. That are a part of them, and they have to recognize this. They have to recognize the fact that they all went to film school and studied Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton in chapter one of their history of film class, right? That Hello, Dolly did. plays a not insignificant role it's in a this big movie. Part you know, of movie, yeah. It's it's the, makes you sympathetic to the Absolutely. lead character, yeah, without question, thoroughly. That is genius. That's very applicable, <laughs> and also I think it speaks a little bit to relatability of the viewer in that, like. What we like about ourselves, maybe we see in Wally, mm -hmm. and why he. There's an argument you can make, I guess, that he's like overly sentimental for a a being that shouldn't feel feelings. Right. Like, there's no explanation as to why Wally feels human emotions, right? And robots in general shouldn't. I get that, but maybe we excuse it because he's so relatable to what we feel. To be fair, a rat became like a great chef. In the uh, it last is a movie. Disney movie, yeah. So. <laughs> so, it is a Disney movie. Yeah, You're right. But, there is magic in it. But yeah, I mean, it's essential. It's AI essentially, and right. it's an adorable AI uh, experience here. And they're paying homage to all these other AI films, right. literally. Uh, Alien, big, big character. No question. Two thousand and one. The the the, villain. the, uh, the inner where the pods are in this movie, the escape pods. That whole corridor hmm. is like a shot for shot remake of the Alien corridor. Yeah, it's uncanny how much it looks like it. So. This is coming from the studio that is recognized as being the most innovative group of people, most creative group of people in the world. And what are they doing? They're not shying away from the fact that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Sure. They're not shying away from that principle. They're not shying away from the fact that they have to be so original. No, they're taking what they love, they make it a part of them, and they tell the story with those sh uh, shout-outs. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely true. And that's you're right. This is a very appropriate and very proper rule to have in step with this movie. We could talk about some heartwarming stuff, some heartbreak stuff. So the biggest one for me, mm. we've already covered it ad nauseum because it's the most relatable one, but just the Wally character they nailed. And Wally wanting so desperately to have a friend when he first meets Eve. Like to the point where he she turns, fires a gun at him, sight unseen, to eradicate him. And he's still like, I, I forgive you. We could hang out. <laughs> I just like, I don't get very close to like putting my hand up against the television <laughs> and just wanting to touch Wally's hand. Like I, I don't do this with other movies, but I wanted to do that today. And I yeah. almost laughed at myself for wanting to do that because his daily routine of having a pet and being alone and having his collections and doing his work. It's just so heartwarming and watching his movies. Mm -hmm. It's Mike, it's as close to our lives without this podcast as I've ever seen it. Yeah, it's sad, man. It feeding, is a sad existence. Feeding his pet foods that are not good for his pet, like a Twinkie. <sighs> like I feed my dog bad shit. <laughs> dog is fat. And with that, though, when we get so attached to him, we, we when he's in peril at the end of the movie, when he's trying to save the day and save that leaf canister, at, which is crushing him, how, how I was rooting again. Come on, man. Get out of there. You're almost yelling at yeah, the screen. Yeah, of course. Yelling at the cartoon robot. 
And you finally see Eve turn around and hold him when she thinks Wally's gone. That was so heart-wrenching stuff because you've built such an establishment of rapport with these characters. They're basically, you bring up the dog thing and the pet thing, which Wally did have that pet bug, but this is kind of like what these characters were. We kind of, Because, you know, our dogs, we love, they don't speak. Mm -hmm. They can only communicate through looks and glances and stuff. So that's basically what we were watching on screen for the most part. True. Like two little pets <laughs> that were trying to make a bond with one another and one was trying to save the other one. If I saw my dog, I used to have two dogs. When one got really sick before we had to put it down and the other one was near it, it's fucking heartbreaking. It's like, heartbreaking. Pixar could ruin all our lives. <laughs> if they actually make one of these movies, then it's a tragedy. See it. I can't see it. If I Can you imagine if like Wally got smushed at the end of the movie? Or like, about yeah, or about dead? dogs? I thought you were gonna say I can't. Worse, do it. yeah, I can't. Oh do no! It. And what if we nobody knew? <laughs> what if nobody? What if they like ended it like Steve? Uh, and, and it was a this great metaphor for whatever. <laughs> I don't care. I wouldn't I you know. heard a dog? You heard a dog? Oh. That trumps any metaphor. They could really get us. Yeah, they absolutely saying, could. But, look, when he meets Eve, I am rooting for this ship. I'm rooting for this romance more than I've rooted for any romance in, like, a human movie. I actually thought about that. Like, this, Harry Met Sally can go take a fucking hike. <laughs> <laughs> this is a romance movie. Meg Ryan, you're so charming. <laughs> Not! I want hand-holding yes. from two robots. Like a slow build. You don't even know if it's romantic at first. It's just a lonely guy trying care. to make a friend. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, he Not goes... some stalker going right behind someone in an airplane. Right. Uh, sick fuck Billy Crystal when he's t- <laughs> again Mike the kids Wally pod <laughs> don't watch Harry Met Sally kids don't oh, do as Harry our, does we have our freakouts in the worst <laughs> cases like the freaking Dora the Explorer pod like going off on BDSM or <laughs> despicable shit yeah those bots no Mike Wally is taking care of Eve after she gets that plant. I thought that was adorable. She's he's got the you know all the bits involved. Uh, again, you know loved it, laughed at it. But talk about heartbreak when Wally is holding that door open at the end, and Ugh. then when he loses his memory. Of course. Were you more heartbroken no. in a movie recently? No, because that? that's how you thought that's how it was going to end. I mean, you're getting near the end time. You know the movie's wrapping up. Eve goes through all these painstaking efforts to learn what Wally taught her, that he has everything in his little bunker, so he's replacing her his parts to make him whole again, and then he comes back and he's got no memory. It's just so sad. <laughs> oh, just killed me. Killed me. So, obviously, the flip side of that... I'm super happy. I mean, it's ending pure on happiness. A, ending on a high note, yeah. When he realizes, even though it's kind of BS that he she just holds his hand and then he remembers. Yeah, there's no explanation for it. It, it certainly is just Disney magic, but... We're coming I off don't a care. movie. I don't yeah, care. we're coming off a movie, especially in Ratatouille, where it's like there was no explanation for so much. Right. You know, there was just no reason for things to happen the way they did in that movie. Well, this one, if you want to tell me that the happy ending... It's the same reason I could probably forgive... Uh, you know, I guess it's kind of a spoiler warning at this point, but we've done 80 hours on it, but it's the same reason I kind of forgive the last shot of Avengers Endgame. Yep. It's like, if you're going to just do it to have a happy ending, fine. That's okay with me. I'm okay with it, too. The happiness when, every time he holds hands with Eve, every one of those moments is just like a full-body When they're flying goosebump. through space after they have their first kiss. Mike, have you ever been just more content in a movie theater or watching a movie than when they're 
doing having fun in space. It's awesome. It's so cool to see. It's like everything. It is just like this this fantasy of this idealistic love that all of us are like sold by Hollywood growing up, and we see it play out in this really innocent way. And that's again why I think it works because they don't talk. The first, it's amazing, and we can't say that enough that they were able to do this without talking yeah. characters. But because they don't speak, there is no bad side to them that we can like even theorize in our head. So they're just perfectly innocent beings that are having genuine fun and it's just so innocent and playful and it's just it we actually allow ourselves to get invested in it as like any lover of hollywood would and the fact that he's capable too of using the fire extinguisher (laughs) to to fly fly through space is pretty fun as well he also does an ethan hunt from mission impossible ethan hunt impersonation and jumps on that spaceship taking off like a boss yeah so that that made me happy too it's like yeah you get a space (laughs) adventure now so that again happiness comes in waves with this particular film for us uh i got a few more best scenes that are just a lot of fun as well the action sequences mike are terrific when he is stuck in that escape pod and has to do like all that crazy. Number one, why is that escape pod getting launched and then self destruction? Did he hit something? <laughs> I think he I hit a wrong button. I uh, think okay, so. so. He I'm not positive. Button, yeah. And he hit the self destruct. <laughs> why does anything have a self destruct button in space? Why did the Death Star have that one hole, man? <laughs> it took us like 30 years to figure that out. That's true. <laughs> I love that he's digging down into the earth to survive the spaceship landing. I thought that, that was, was just so innovative. And he was cute doing it. <laughs> right. I love that Wally and Eve team up on the spaceship after she's like mad that he's there and he's just like the goofy guy's like waving his <laughs> like hello we had a nice date and you never called me back or whatever no it's just he's her there heroically and they finally team up in that trash section of the spaceship he is there heroically for the most part and then we even get a comment on toxic masculinity because when he's when they're both captured and sent for repairs and he's watching Eve behind like that shadow curtain type thing and he thinks they're beheading him when really she's just basically being tickled and cleaned up and he goes in to save the day and because he tries to save the day as the masculine hero it sets off all the alarms and shit and that's the reason they're chasing the first place I thought that was clever too and ahead of its time right she's the action hero from the beginning of the movie she she doesn't need to be saved yeah right she absolutely doesn't need to be saved All right, we haven't talked about the humans much we're talking about the robots but the humans are pretty great god that looks like paradise <laughs> uh when the captain never stands have to up, walk or talk again <laughs> when he scans up like a giant baby and everybody's just like <gasps> and they're playing the 2001 theme in the background oh my god i love it it's just a big fat baby man standing up oh it's great but when you meet the humans for the first time when you realize why they're all they've all lost the bone mass and you get that ex- uh, you know that uh, explained to you I mean all that is genius right it's all very very smart and we could, well thought out you could tell why the script took years to come together because they did want they you had to have these complex explanations and boil them down into yeah. like just sentences that we all would digest and say oh yeah that makes sense right and there's like 30 of those you have to swallow in this movie Walmart came to rule the world <laughs> we all uh, the, took an exodus to space on basically a, a a cruise, cruise ship, ship yeah. that never has promises of vacation yeah. with AI, and we don't even eat solid foods anymore. Right. It's just all milkshake form. We don't get up. 
We have group personal groomers that are robots. I love the personal gr- the pink robot. You look it's fabulous. Just, yeah, it's just like every few minutes. Oh yeah, that's so true. Oh, you look great. Yeah, that red looks beautiful. <laughs> but and, look, I mean, cell phones and iPads and tablets and shit they weren't nearly as pervasive in 2008 as they are in 2019 and look the commentary this is making about the human race being attached to screens when we live in a utopia here in this movie where screens are literally inches away from our faces at all times to the point where the one of the women the john ratzenberg character gets knocked off and and the woman that knocks him off is like oh we have a pool. <laughs> we have a pool, and she's like startled that she's not right. staring at a free two feet in front of her face. It's like, oh my god! Yeah, there's like a world out here. Look at this. And there's all kinds of subtext attached to that, which is so it's so much more of the moment now, relative now, important now, relevant now, I should say, than in 2008. Yeah. And again, I'm just saddened by the idea that it's so politicized now. All of it. Mm-hmm. It, it just it bums me out because if this looking at this movie in 2008 all of us regardless of where we came from were like oh that's a sad existence for the where that place is going in 2008 we could agree on stuff right it was a happier time <laughs> my Ugh. god i mean the economy was in the pooper the uh yeah, yeah but still happier uh, I, I guess as a means of picking us up off that, though, when Fred Lillard is panicking and giving the, the message to the robots, being like, all right, yeah, we got to cancel Operation Recolonization. Uh, just stay in space. Don't uh, don't come back. <laughs> he just walks off. I like the other, like, you know, this is day 17,477 <laughs> of our five-year trip to the <laughs> space. <laughs> that was pretty funny. So, um, a lot of funny stuff. I don't have a worst, to be honest with you. I, I wrote this, down none. It's a great film. Yeah, that's how Period. I feel about it, too. This is a very complete film. This is like what you think of with best of Pixar stuff. Yeah. Quick 90-something minutes, you know, an extraordinary budget that not every film and production company can do, but right. because they use they use it to the best of their advantages, you have this well-thought-out, extremely high-concept dumbed down to like the simplest level that's easy to understand. Yeah, it's like elemental, I mean, for kids in many ways, but you're totally right. It's almost like incredible style, Brad Bird yeah. style. They took, they took that... Efficiency is very efficiency, high. Economy. Very high in this, and, yeah. And... Uh, I'm all about it. And they allowed the background to do all of the extra stuff. They allowed the you know all the illusions to come in the production design of the ship that looks like the alien ship and what that means. And it just it really works. Mike, this might be my favorite Pixar film. I was just going to end on that question with you. This I think this is mine as well. At least so far during so far. this rewatch, without yeah. question. Andrew Stanton. Guy's got a future in this business. And yet, he almost <laughs> ruined his career with John Carter. Unbelievable. Whatever. <laughs> Mulligan. <laughs> Mulligan. Uh, guys, we want to know your thoughts. Obviously, questions, comments, concerns. Did you watch Wall-E when it came out in 2008? Have you watched it recently? We want to know what you think about this movie. Any other movies also that we covered during this Pixar series, Rewatch, or anything else that we've done thus far up with MM and O. You can reach us, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We're available everywhere. You hear podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, 
Michael, what's coming up for us this week? Yeah, the words of wisdom this week are please join us 6 p.m. Saturday night for a for the live stream for The Cure. Yeah. And that is not because we're big fans of the band. That is the, for The Cure for Cancer. We're, we are I've worn part... face paint and black lipstick a time or two. <laughs> Fascination Street, Mike. <laughs> Just us with Fascination Street t-shirts. Oh, God. That's, that'll be our live stream. That's what we'll do. We'll, just, we'll play The Cure for we an just... hour and just cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just us listening to what, what is this about mike we are uh part of a great group of podcasts yes. they're trying to raise a few bucks for cancer they met their goal last year uh they're trying they raised the goal a little bit to 7500 bucks so we're not trying to promise the world but if we can you know if you have a few bucks to spare every little bit helps yeah we're gonna put it all over our so- social media uh there we're Donations for cancer research. Uh, we're part of a, a big group of podcasts that are that are giving you free entertainment for the weekend, and just we're really happy and honored to be yes uh, one of many. Absolutely, we thank them for inviting us in. We hope that you will take us up on that invitation as well. It's going to be like a seventy-two hour stretch of pods and brands, yeah, right? Doing all free content. You just got to log in, watch what a bunch of other uh, ridiculous brands, some more serious than us, some about as serious as us uh, that you. <laughs> be able to see and have all kinds of fun with and interact Most with so. better than us <laughs> not better than than better people than yes. for sure yeah, without question so uh we hope you join us for that we thank you for listening to this we also have a lot of stuff on the horizon as far as more reviews interviews co-reviews all types of fun stuff that you come to know and love from mmo uh so stay tuned for all of that as well uh michael anything final to go out on here yeah keep listening to this uh Pixar series. We're having a blast with it. We're following along with this production backstory, history of the Pixar company, the 22 rules of uh, screenwriting. Couldn't be happier yeah. about that study. And we're watching some great Oscar-nominated films That's along sure. the way. So yeah. it fits the brand. It, it's just a lot of fun. So yeah, tell your friends we're reviewing Pixar. We're having a blast. Give us a review on iTunes! <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, come watch movies with us. We will check you out next time. Face you, mate. Jesus. <laughs> See ya. Justin, can you believe it's almost time? Time for what? The 2019 live stream for The Cure. This is our third year hosting this amazing event with every single cent going toward cancer research. The Cancer Research Institute funds research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. And this amazing nonprofit organization is rated over 92% by CharityNavigator.org and puts 88 cents of every dollar toward cancer research. Last year, thanks to an amazing team of collaborators, fans, supporters, and listeners, we raised over $5,000 in 30 hours on the air. And this year, with your help, we're going for our biggest goal yet. Tune in May 17th to the 19th on twitch.tv slash Epic Film Guys for 40 hours of amazing content as we try to reach $7,500. For more information or to find out how you can become a part of the event, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. <laughs>